So, um, man, rise and shine families. Um, I hope you introduce yourself to me if we didn't get a chance to meet out in the parking lot. But um, I, we just, my wife and I just moved our rise and shine graduate to Cleveland State University a few weeks ago. So I just can't believe how fast that, yeah. Um, how fast that went. Uh, a few weeks before we said, and you know, it's nice because he's 30 minutes away, but still obviously an emotional kind of thing. Um, a couple of weeks before we dropped him off, my wife came to me and said, just so you know, I will be coping with this by cleaning and organizing. Um, <laughs> translated, I will be coping with this by us cleaning and organizing. And, um, you know, in our house, um, nemesis number one for my wife has always been the storage room. I don't like a lot of clutter, uh, but the storage room was just kind of like the badlands of the house, where there's a mess, but it's behind the door of the finished part of the basement, out of sight, we're in there 15 minutes a week, tops, and it just kind of piles up and, you know, you close the door and it's out of sight, out of mind. But for my wife, once or twice a year, she would go in there and kind of beat it back. Like, you know, organize some stuff and get it to where at least she felt like she had she kind of minimized the damage, kind of imposed her will a little bit on the storage room but never really was able to subdue the enemy. Um, shortly before we dropped Spencer off at CSU, we went to the new home of longtime Polaris family, Mark and Christine Simonitis. And in their new house, they have a new storage room. And my wife walked in there. Do you, do you got, how many of you remember Toys R Us? <clears throat> do you remember what it was like as a kid? to walk into Toys R Us or Children's Palace or, you know, I was just like this, this, this gaze. She walked in their storage room and was just overcome by organizational art, okay? So, days later, I get on my front porch 24 Costco bins with matching racks to be assembled. <coughs> we drop Spencer off at college, we come back, and my wife hit that storage room like Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday <laughs> eradicated the cowboys from Tombstone. I mean, just like, and dove in. Um, here's before, let me show you the before. This is the junk that had piled up, which would normally just be kind of pushed back so that you could get a little aisle away. By the time my wife was done with that storage room, here's what it looked like. <laughs> yeah. Now, when, when, a, when there is a truly savage ruler, <clears throat> like 
Game of Thrones stuff. Savage. They not only defeat the enemy, they desecrate the body. Right? Whether it's, you know, you drag it around the city in a chariot, you put it on a post, <laughs> stuff a rat in the mouth, whatever it is, you know, that's how you really just, you know. Um, I kid you not. So, so there was, okay. A lot of that trash didn't make the cut. And I drug it out to the tree lawn on trash night. I kid you not. I looked outside, my wife was organizing the trash <laughs> on the tree lawn. And I realized, this is my story. <laughs> this is my jurisdiction. You get everything else in my life. Day and night she talks. And <laughs> I realized this is not really her organizing for the garbage men or whoever. This is her desecrating the body. It's she's on the you guys didn't even make the storage room cut, and still I will organize you too. Savage. Well, I feel like that imagery there is the perfect place for us to talk about um, peace. Because we're going to talk today a little bit about peace and finding peace and God giving us peace because it is a promise in Scripture. And we've been working through this series called uh, Power to Change. And so uh, what I want to do is, is talk through... Um, how to find peace and how to maintain peace that comes from God in the midst of... Because, I mean, I think, I think we could look at that and we could say, man, when it comes to our soul, when it comes to our life, once you get past 22, generally you want just kind of peace in your inner world. Like, you're, you're no longer wanting the, the, the thrill and adrenaline rush of chaos. You kind of want things to, to settle down. And, and I think we would, we would love to have that versus what life tends to do and pile up mess after mess in our life. And I think that's available. I really believe that God promises that over time we can find peace and he will produce that in our life. So let me review a little bit, because this is a part of a series called Power to Change. We're building it around two main verses from the Bible, sections from the Bible. You can hear the, the, uh, the other sermons by, uh, on, on your app. The, the sermons button will take you back. And the first sermon two weeks ago <clears throat> really, um, I think, lays out the framework for, for the series. But let's just read the first of the two. Uh, verses that I'm coming back to every week, and that's in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we got two phrases there that are huge. Being transformed. Now what that implies is that with God's help, we are changing right? If you get stuck, and you will get stuck spiritually, just like I get stuck spiritually, but it shouldn't be for long. 
because with God's help, we are being transformed. And then the other phrase there is ever-increasing, ever-increasing glory. So what God is doing in us continues to get better and better and better over time. It's, it's ever-increasing. And so I think that that's God's promise for us. Now, let's go to Galatians 5 and read specifically some things that God is going to do in our lives as we submit to him. <clears throat> Paul says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, this verse, like tons of promises in the Bible, talks about the work of God being like, compares it to the world of agriculture. And specifically, Paul says the Holy Spirit is producing fruit. Fruit is a great symbol for, for producing what comes out of. And he's saying the thing the Holy Spirit produces in your life are these different characteristics. And he, and he, he labels it in a list and almost certainly this list is in order of significance because that's what they did in the ancient world. And so love, joy, peace are kind of what you could say are like the big three. Like those are the, those are the first three in the list, love and joy and peace. And what I love about those is that those are just like generally good qualities. And so one of the things that God will do in your life and in mine, if we submit to him, is produce peace in the midst of chaos. That's a promise from God. And I guess what I would tell you from my experience, while it's difficult, ironically, peace is a battle. <laughs> it's possible. So, um, there's nothing really tricky about the word peace, but just to make sure that we're all on the, on the same page, when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit being peace. It simply means the feeling of the absence of conflict. Like you're at peace, you're at rest. The feeling of the absence of conflict. The ancient Jewish word was like shalom, just means all is well. And I say feeling, and this is important to me. Like I underlined it and put a star. Okay, this is a big deal. I emphasize feeling. Because in no place in the Bible will you ever find any kind of promise or example, really, of following God, walking with Jesus, and having all your life circumstances align perfectly so that you just walk through life with the absence of external conflict. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. Jesus says, in this life you will have troubles. Jesus says each day has enough worry and problem of its own. The scriptures talk about hardship after hardship after hardship from people walking very close. Your circumstances will rarely lend themselves to peace. I think that's an important message from the scriptures. But in the midst of that, what we can have is peace. The Bible calls it peace beyond understanding. Peace when it doesn't even make sense to have it. That's the good stuff. 
And so what we see is God not, we don't see God saying, and I will make your life perfect. What we see him saying is, as you walk with me, as the Holy Spirit does his work, we find peace in the midst of very difficult circumstances. Now what I want to do with the rest of my time is kind of walk through some things that I've seen in my own life. I mean, I've been a follower of Jesus for somewhere around, I don't know, 30-some years. And I've been a pastor here at Polaris for 24 years now. Um, and so I feel, I, you know, I've seen some things. And I've experienced things in my own life and seen things in the lives of others. And, and I want to, um, let me just talk about a few things that I think both bring peace, like how do we work alongside to, to experience God's peace and grow in peace, and then also there's some things to avoid, like a lot of the things that, we, that, that rob us of our peace are things that we can, we can avoid. So let me just work down uh, a, a sort of list um, um, with what makes us experience God's peace. And the first is just, the churchy answer. Let me just get it out of the way. The churchy answer. So, you know, when you were growing up, if you were in Sunday school and driving home and your parents said, uh, what'd you learn about? Uh, Jesus. You were in Catholic school and the teacher called on you, the nun called on you, and you weren't paying attention. You just said, ah, uh, Jesus. Um, that's the churchy answer, but for me, that's the only answer that I can testify to is in a growing friendship with Jesus, you will begin to experience God's peace. In fact, Jesus even promises, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus tells his disciples not only things like I've come to give you life to the fullest, but I've come to give you my peace. Now, I know that there are other walks of life that claim to have deep inner peace. I can't vouch for that. I have no idea what's really going on down deep. All I can say is my story and what I see in the lives of many people at Polaris over the years is that when you walk in friendship with Jesus, now I'm not talking about just going to church or religion or sit, stand, kneel, or behavior modification, or, or information transferred, just Bible knowledge for the sake of Bible knowledge. I'm talking about genuine friendship with Jesus. As you come to know Jesus and are known by him, that for me is the source of inner peace. And if you don't know that, if you have never gotten past religion, and into genuine friendship with Jesus. That's, for me, that's, that's my greatest passion in life, is to help people make that connection beyond religion, beyond sit, stand, kneel, and to experience a genuine friendship of, with Jesus, because that's what changed my life. And for me, that's the only thing worth living for, and the only thing that can drag me through and give me peace a lot of the very difficult circumstances in life. So that's number one, is just genuine, growing friendship with Jesus. Now, number two, has to do with just controlling what you can control. 
a lot of our peace is robbed because we fail to take control and be intentional about everyday life things that we could give some effort to working on. And this is one again. Um, like the big three for me are marriage, parenting, and finance. When I look at my life, when I look at the lives of others, a lot of the chaos in life, a lot of the, the wreckers and, and thieves of peace come in either marriage or parenting or finance. And this is one where I'm just now, I'm 46. I've been married 24 years. I am, my wife and I still love each other and even like each other on most days. We'll see how I'm doing when I get home after that whole... <coughs> Um, but I feel like I'm finally getting to the age where I can speak to a little bit of this. Um, and so here's what I would say with marriage, parenting, and finance, whatever is relevant to you. Um, be intentional about those three things and control everything you can to seek peace and eliminate chaos and uncertainty and, um, and drama. Now, uh, I have some advice. <clears throat> Number one, be intentional by finding good mentors. In any one of those three areas, marriage, parenting, finances, be intentional. Don't just read the article that Facebook brought up. Don't just pursue the latest trend. And seriously, when you're, when you're in a group of people, don't solicit group advice. I mean this. Don't ask on Facebook, hey, what do you do for parenting? Anybody will respond. Here, this, is, this is some of the best life advice that I could possibly give. Find mentors with proof in the pudding. Now, let me be clear. Let me be clear. I mean this. There are people, just because you're not married or you got divorced doesn't mean you don't have good advice to give on marriage. Just because your, your grown kids are, are a train wreck doesn't mean you don't have good... I've known plenty of great parents whose kids just go off and do their own thing. Just because you're bankrupt doesn't mean you can't give good um, money advice. But what I'm telling you is play the odds. Play the odds. Don't judge anybody, but play the odds. And only reach out to people who you look at and see whatever it is you want that they've figured out. Grown kids that are well-adjusted, a marriage of a couple decades where they still seem to like each other, a, a household that seems to be in order financially, and ask them for advice and mentoring. You don't have to be judgmental. Not, anybody can end up with any results no matter what they did, but play the odds and reserve your intake for people that have demonstrated that they kind of know what they're doing. So that's, that's thing number one. Now, <clears throat> real specifically, marriage. We're going to start. You saw it on the, um, on the announcements. Uh, you can go to classes in the app and sign up for uh, Love and Respect. to walk through that book. The Bickleys are going to do that. I think they usually sit over in there somewhere. Maybe they're in children's ministry today. Oh, no, they're... No, they're not. I don't know where they are. They must be in children's ministry. Anyway, um, they're going to walk through that class. Bickley's are in my neighborhood. I can attest to their family. They're not crazies. Um, but the book Love and Respect, I'm telling you this. I mean this. 
That is a marriage saver. I know real people that that book saved their marriage. Give it a shot. Doesn't mean your marriage is a train wreck for you to just want to tune up a little bit of advice. If you need more serious help or just a real qualified tune-up, you can go to our app in the resources page. Um, we recommend Emerge Counseling in Akron. It'll tell you how to connect with them, and, and that's like I'm willing to walk through in friendship with anybody, but I'm certainly not a qualified counselor. I would refer you to somebody who's good at it. Um, parenting. <coughs> Again, all kinds of trends. Everybody has all kinds of opinions. That's fine and good. I'm going to tell you what worked for me and my wife. It was recommended to us by another family with, with grown, amazing kids. John Roseman wrote a series of books. We use The Well-Behaved Child for Younger Kids and Teen Proofing for Older Kids. Gold. Okay, if I had a Bible up here, I'd put it up too. Very close second, John Roseman parenting stuff. Now, don't agree with everything he wrote, but I can tell you that everything we put into place did what it was supposed to do. We had two kids. One of the two was a little more of a challenge. And if it wasn't for John Roseman, I probably wouldn't be up here talking about parenting, okay? I'm going to leave these on the stage. If you want one, take one. If you want to take a picture of it to get, but I'm telling you, if you need a, if you need a lifeline, if you need a place to start, right there. That dude made our, I don't know, it might be a stretch to say he saved our family, but he made life in the Poindexter house exponentially easier by some very simple parenting things that he did. Finance, if you need some help putting your finances together, we got some qualified people that are, that are um, experienced, um, um, that have proof in the pudding in people they've worked with and in their own finances. I know them personally. I trust them. You can go to resources and go to the financial budgeting and submit the form, and we'll get back with you, and I'll connect you with either, either Sarah or Phil. They're both amazing. It's confidential, and they can help you rebuild things and give you some insight and some wisdom into finance stuff. But when it comes to peace, yes, God can do some great things, Okay? But one of the ways we work with him is by controlling what we can and getting our own stuff in order. Be good stewards of our own situations and avoid a lot of the pitfalls that cause us to descend into chaos. Okay, number three, life experience. Not only in my own life, <clears throat> but watching in the lives of others. When it comes to finding peace and working with God to allow peace and bring about peace, one of the greatest enemies, and the best way I know how to describe this is if you, you've ever been out on a lake in the morning, it's like glass. It's just beautiful, right, Dave? I mean, just, just there's nothing like it. Steam rising, and, and it's just like glass. By the middle of the day, it gets all rough and choppy, and you can never, like, go out there and try to push down the, the water to make it calm. And in the same way in your life, you can't, you can't just try to choose calm. You can't just try to choose peace. Like, I'm going to be happy now. Like, you know, is it uh, serenity now? It doesn't work like that. You have to express what's down deep and get that out 
and that will produce calm. So I want to show you what David does in, in Psalm. David, in, in the Psalms, David is man after God's own heart, um, uh, highly regarded in Scripture. Okay, these are the Psalms. I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. What else I got? Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust you. Even at my mother's breast from birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you've been my God. God, I have served you since I was a baby. I've served you since the womb. Next. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. Easy, David. We got another one? Nope, okay. On and on throughout the Psalms. David says everything from I'm sinful since I was born to I've loved you since I was born to I want that dude dead, and I want his kids to be beggars. You don't go to the Psalms for theology and, like, to show you what an upstanding citizen you should be. You go to the Psalms to see God giving us permission to express raw emotions because that's part of the process of finding peace. Now, in certain churchy cultures, and I hope you will never find that at Polaris, <coughs> it's expected that no matter what you go through, you just put on a smile and say some churchy stuff and reaffirm the core doctrines and move on with life. But I think that that is detrimental to finding God's peace. I suggest that you get a spiral notebook and you and I've done this many times and you just write it out raw everything you hate about life everything you're frustrated about with people things that you wouldn't want on Twitter um, you know keep this kind of stuff off Facebook just to yourself write it all out and then rip it up and properly dispose of it your soul needs that your soul needs to be real and raw. And that invites God to then restore you and build you back up. Once you've expressed everything in its fullest form, it's like your spirit's now ready to move ahead with God. And so I think that when it comes to peace, counterintuitively, you can't force it. Sometimes it's achieved only by expressing your deepest, darkest thoughts and... Um, the ugly stuff down there, and that's the way we get it out and deal with it. All right, one last thing. <clears throat> I think that we need to embrace our failures, and we need to embrace the fact that on many days we feel like and maybe are spiritual failures. The most notable feature of the Bible, I think, is how it treats and what it says about its heroes. Because um, Moses was a murderer. Peter denied Jesus and amped it up with curses. Elijah burned out. Jonah was a racist. Jacob was a con artist. 
Jeremiah was flat out suicidal. Thomas doubted. Moses also had a terrible temper. Timothy had ulcers. Okay? While other works in the ancient world worked to erase and glorify their heroes, the Bible is clear that um, we're not all that impressive. And Jesus was notorious for spending his time with people who were the most rejected by a religious society, which means that they had made the most mistakes out of their life. And I think that one of the pathways to finding peace is to start with the fact that we're not all that great, and God loves us anyway. So I'm going to read this from Colossians 1. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. There's nothing more God could say aside from free from accusation, holy in his sight and without blemish. While also saying we were enemies of God because of our evil behavior. Paul wants us to know that yes, God knows exactly who you are. God knows exactly how much I have failed him and continue to. And yet through Jesus, through friendship with Jesus, he loves me and forgives me anyway. For me, that's where peace starts. It starts with rightness with God. Okay. Um, I'm going to transition now to our time of blessing. And... Um, going to invite you to stand and I think the, we're going to do one last song so if you guys want to come up now you can <clears throat> and I'm going to read from Matthew 18 Jesus called a little a child to him and placed the child among them and he said truly I tell you unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes, blesses one such child in my name, welcomes me. Let's pray. Lord, circle our schools and keep these good things within. Eagerness to learn, blossoming of talents, a sense of wonder, enjoyment of sport, experience of beauty, warmth of friendship, the art of listening, respect for all, service of others, teamwork between children and adults, care for the planet, reverence for life, fitness of body, mind, and spirit. Lord, encircle our schools and keep these bad things out. Low self-esteem, confusion, prejudice, racism, pride, bullying, cheating, lying, fear, violence of every kind, malicious gossip, apathy, And Mr. Niedermeyer asked if I would pray, and Father, we ask you that students would become intrinsically motivated and that you would raise up adult champions 
in every child's life. Lord, circle our schools, for you are the source of all good things. May every drive to and from school and events be safe. May every bus driver be filled with focus, wisdom, and love. May every parent be focused and present as they drive their child. May every student driver be focused and level-headed as they drive to and from school and events. Bless the administration of each school system near us. May they walk upright. Give them wisdom and courage to do the right thing for your children. Bless every teacher, aide, volunteer, cafeteria worker, office worker, janitor, and everyone involved with every preschool, especially Rise and Shine, public school, private school, and home school. May they work together with you, whether knowingly or unknowingly. And together with your blessing, give these children whom you love a wonderful experience this school season. You are the giver of every good thing. We're grateful for your blessings. In the name of Jesus, the greatest teacher to have ever been with us, we ask these blessings. Amen.